morning, everyone. Once again, uh, we are in the, the third week. I was driving in this morning. I can't believe we're already in the third week of uh, our study in the, the book of Mark as we are going from Christmas Eve, the birth of, of Jesus, and we're going all the way through to Good Friday and, and Easter, and over the next now just 12 weeks, we're going to be walking with Jesus and, and uh, looking at his life, who he was as a person, and uh, looking at his ministry. And what I hope that we're going to be able to do, each and every one of us is going to be able to answer two questions during this series. And the first question I need, I want us to each and every one of us to be able to answer individually is, who is Jesus? Was he a great teacher? Was he a prophet? Or was he indeed the son of God? The other question that I hope that each and every one of us will be able to answer is this, is what does it mean, based on the first answer to the first question, what does it actually mean to follow this person, Jesus? What does it actually mean tangibly in the 21st century, in 2010, here on earth in Tallahassee? What does it mean to follow Jesus? So if you would, if you'd open up your Bibles to chapter 2, If you remember the past two weeks, we were uh, introduced to Jesus. We saw him get baptized. We saw him uh, heal some people last week and uh, really kick off his ministry uh, in Capernaum. And like people were really excited about what he was doing. They were talking about the authority that he taught with. And then he left Capernaum and, and, and he went out and he taught in the, in the local synagogues and, and, and different little towns and he went to villages and all that kind of stuff. And now he's, he's finished that, that little preaching tour and he's come back to his home in, in Capernaum. And uh, starting in verse 1, it says, Later, uh, the news spread quickly that, that he was back home. Soon, the house where he was staying was so packed with visitors, there was no room, more room, even outside the door. While he was preaching God's word to them, him, them, them, I'm sure of that, four men arriving, carrying a paralyzed man on a mat. They couldn't bring him to Jesus because of the crowd. So they dug a hole through the roof above his head. Then they lowered the man on his mat right down in front of Jesus. Let me stop right there. When when I look at this and I just, I I am just so taken aback by, by these four friends. Like these four friends, how much they cared about, about their paralyzed friend. Let's call him Bob. Bob, the paralyzed friend, is sitting there probably for years. And, and, and you know, in the first century, you're paralyzed. That there's, not a, there's not a whole lot that you can do that, that your life uh, uh, 
even though it'd be awful in the 21st century, and in, in the first century, it would be an absolute horror. And I could just imagine, you know, these four guys coming up, you know, going to Bob, and, and, and Bob, you know, we're, you want to go see Jesus? Well, it doesn't even really matter what you say because we're going to take you anyway. And, and to pick him up and to get to the house, and I could just imagine that, you know, they hear Jesus is back. They heard that he had, had healed all these kind of different people. They had one got Bob, and they, they grabbed him, and they went in to see that the, the house was packed. And for most of us, we'd say, well, we tried, Bob. We tried to bring you to Jesus, maybe, you know, just the hopefully there was a chance that maybe that you could be healed and whole. Well, we gave it an effort, but not these guys. These guys weren't going to let just a bunch of people, bar- these barriers get in the way. In fact, they said, you know what? We're not going to let people or stuff or things get in our way. So they, they got on top of the house. Now, it's not as miraculous as it might seem. Houses back then, homes back then were made out of stone, and there was a staircase up to the roof. So they, they walked up to the roof where on the roof they would dry fruits and, and things like that. Uh, um, so all that kind of stuff. But they got up there, there's you know, there's like a real roof there. And I don't know which one of them thought it, and, and maybe they all came to the idea at the same time. I don't know if they thought about this when they started going up to the roof, what they were going to do. But once they got up there, you know, they... They wanted their friend to get to Jesus so badly that they started tearing up the roof. Now, like I want to bring my friends to Jesus. I do, I really do. But I don't know if I would start tearing somebody's roof apart to do it. This is a whole new level of love for their friend and desperation to get somebody to Jesus. I mean, I think so many times we, we, uh, we put different value systems or different thoughts, you know, in Bible stories, and we're like, oh, isn't that nice? They went up to the roof and tore the roof open and, and lowered their friend down to Jesus. Isn't that, that's a nice Bible story. Well, could you imagine, like, if you, like, invited Jesus over to your house, and you're like, hey, Jesus, you can stay here and everything, and, and then, like, you were sitting there, and you're, you know, that your house is packed, and Jesus is preaching, and they're like, isn't this cool? And then you're like, oh, whoa, you know, i got to call the exterminator. Something's going on up there, or something like that, and, you know, plaster starts falling down, and, and then suddenly you see these four guys peer in and then, like, drop, excuse me, lower their friend uh, down. To, I, you'd be like, really? I, I, it's my, my house, my roof. But, the, but I just, I mean, just the, 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 whole, the whole scene, I mean, it's just, it's just absolutely incredible how desperate these guys were to get their friend to Jesus. And they didn't even know what Jesus was going to do, just like this possibility that, that, that Jesus could heal him. So they tear it up, and they, they're not going to let anything get in the way of bringing their friends to Jesus. And seeing their faith, 
Jesus said to the paralyzed man, listen to this, my child, your sins are forgiven. Your sins are forgiven? Jesus, can you see that this is a paralyzed man? Can you see that these these four men went through all of this, this effort to bring you to heal him physically, but Jesus sees something that's bigger going on. That, that he realizes that there's more at stake than the physical ailment. And at this, in verse 6 says, but some of the religious the teachers of the religious law who were sitting there. Now, stop right there. Let me read that again. This is important. But some of the teachers of the religious law who were sitting there, what was the reason that these four men had to take Bob up the roof and open up the roof and drop, sorry, lower him down to the feet of Jesus? It's because the religious rulers, the teachers of the religious law were packing in there and becoming a physical barrier to the people that really needed to connect with Jesus. I mean, it just blows me away when I think about that and especially when I have conversations with people who, who wouldn't identify themselves as followers of Christ. And you know what they say a lot of times? Why, why they, they don't want to become a follower of Christ. And they don't want to, to go to church and they, they don't want to go on a spiritual path. Well, they don't even have to say it. You can see the bumper sticker. The bumper sticker that you see around town, it says, Jesus, please save me from your followers. Religious people are still crowding around Jesus. And while those who are truly seeking him cannot get near him. But some of the teachers of the religious law who were sitting there blocking, so these men had to go through extraordinary circumstances to get to Jesus. There they thought to themselves, why is he saying this? This is blasphemy. Only God can forgive sins. You know what? The religious rulers, the teachers of the religious law were right. They are absolutely right in the, in the saying, only God can forgive sins. And this is a, one of our first really big clues to help us answer the question, who is Jesus? Because the re- teachers of the religious law are right. Only God can forgive sins. And right before it says, Jesus, seeing their faith, said to the paralyzed man, your child, your sins are forgiven. Verse 9, or verse 8, Jesus knew immediately what they were thinking, so he asked them, why do you question this in your heart? Is it easier to say to the paralyzed man, your sins 
are forgiven or stand up, pick up your mat and walk. And then the very peculiar thing happens after this. Verse 10, so I will prove to you that the Son of Man, the Son of Man is a title that Jesus gave himself, I believe, to illustrate his humanity. To make sure that we all know that Jesus was 100% human, but he also claimed to be 100% God. He says, look, I will prove to you that the Son of Man has the authority on earth to forgive sins. So you say, look, the Son of Man, the guy, the physical guy that you are sitting here or who's sitting here in front of you, I'm going to prove to you without a shadow of a doubt that I have the authority of God to forgive sins. Then Jesus turned to the paralyzed man and said, stand up, pick up your mat, and go home. In verse 12, and the man jumped up. I can't even jump up. But Jesus healed this guy so well that he was able to jump up. He grabbed his mat and walked through the stunned onlookers. They were stunned. You know, again, you go a lot, a lot of times you read this and, and, and you think, ah, oh, you know, people got healed all the time in the, in the first century. This was, a, this was a normal kind of thing that people, you know, would, would get healed and, and, and whatever. But no, they were absolutely stunned that, that this wasn't a normal everyday kind of thing. In fact, it goes on, it says, they were all amazed and praised God exclaiming, we've never seen anything like this before. They had never, ever seen a paralyzed man become healed. That this was completely foreign to them. This was absolutely amazing to them. And it's interesting as you, as you kind of look at this whole kind of first part of what we're looking at today, that, that you have Jesus coming back to his, his kind of headquarters his, and where he's living during his earthly ministry. And people are just crowding around him and, and just so excited about what he's doing. And you have these religious rulers who, who are there, but they're not really there with purity, that they're there to really watch and be critical and this is one of the first big criticisms that, that we see. It's like, look, who are you to say that you can forgive sins? And as we look at this, I just, I am so struck by, by these four men who went through extraordinary lengths to bring their friend to Jesus. And I a lot of times I like to ask myself the question when I see things like this, would I, would I personally go through all of that inconvenience and, and go through, through that, the, the obvious uh, kind of social taboos and, and, you know, tearing up somebody's home to bring somebody to Jesus? Would I go to those extraordinary lengths 
to to bring somebody to Jesus or have I become a much more civilized type of Christian? That that I would never never break a social norm in order to expose or have my, a chance for my friends to be healed by Jesus. I think that's one of the real big questions that, that come out of this text. It continues on after this goes on. It says in verse 13, Then Jesus went out to the lake shore again, and he taught the crowds that were coming to him. As he walked along, he saw Levi, son of Alphaeus, sitting at his tax collector's booth. Follow me and be my disciple, Jesus said to him. So Levi got up and followed him. Now Levi will become Matthew, who wrote the gospel according to Matthew. And just to remind you about tax collectors. Tax collectors were not like everybody's favorite person in the first century. And they're actually much worse than what we would think of as the the IRS today. Uh, Tax collectors were these people that the the Romans had enlisted. And they they had enlisted people who were Jewish to turn against their people their own people, turn against their own nation to to sell them out for profit. And what they would do with the authority of the Roman Empire behind them, that they would charge people taxes and that they would not only charge them the taxes due, but they would charge additional and uh, so they could pad their own pockets. And because of that, Jewish people hated tax collectors. But this was this precise type of person that Jesus wanted as as his followers. He'd called the previous four who were working people that they weren't prestigious in any, any way. And now he's gone even from someone who was just a real good working, working man to someone who society had rejected that for, to somebody who had traded their, their national and social connections for profit. And Jesus is saying, you know what? I want you to be a follower of me. I want to invite you to be in my circle. It's interesting what happens. It says later, Levi invited Jesus and his disciples to his home as dinner guests, along with many tax collectors and other disreputable sinners. He didn't even invite reputable sinners. He invited disreputable sinners. And this, is, this must have been quite a party. In fact, Jesus went to cool parties all the time. In fact, it says right here, it uh, says, there were many people of this kind among Jesus' followers. It's like, I'm not like big on Christian t-shirts, but I probably wear one. It's a disreputable sinner. I, I, just, I, just, I think it would be like this, this great reminder that, you know what? We like to, 
and I don't know why we like this, but because we have so many examples in, in Scripture, you know, that, that, that religious people, they, they missed it. That they thought the laws and, and the pomp and the circumstance of it was what it was all about. But Jesus repeatedly shows us that, you know what, it's not about the laws and the pomp and the circumstance, but it's about the relationship. And once again, in verse 16, we see, when the teachers of the religious laws, who were the Pharisees, saw him eating with tax collectors and other sinners, they asked his disciples, why does he eat with such scum? Why does he eat with such scum? When Jesus heard this, he told them, healthy people don't need a doctor. Sick people do. I have come to call those, not call those, not, I've come to call not those who think they are righteous. Let me read that again. I have come to call not those who think they are righteous. Those who think they're not, but they think they are because why? Because they follow the, the, the cultural religious rules of the day. And Jesus is saying, look, I didn't come for them. I have, but for those who know they are sinners. And I am grieved when I read this because I look at this and I wonder where, how far has the American church got off track? That so often that we resemble people who, who think that we are righteous enough, myself included, that like the previous story, actually become barriers to people coming to Jesus because we have elevated our rules in our, in our Christian subculture. And we see that, that Jesus loved just to spend time with people who are irreligious, people who, who didn't get all wrapped up in the religious laws and, and the pomp and the circumstance. But Jesus liked to go to parties and hang out with people and to let them know that, you know what? Even though you've turned your back on God, and in Levi's case, even though you have sold out your, your people and your heritage, even though you have made some really bad decisions and have put money and things above relationship, that, you know what? You matter to God. You matter to me. 
and I want to name you as one of my friends. He never did that with a religious ruler, a Pharisee. He did it with people that they hated, that they thought were disreputable. And I look at this and I'm like, okay, this is kind of the next question, the second question. What does it mean to follow Jesus? Well, Jesus went out and and connected with people who the religious establishment didn't want to touch, did not want to do life with, did not want to eat with, because they went away from their rules and their society and their culture. And I think that this this story of, of, of Jesus calling Matthew, calling Levi, is a real wake-up call to the American church. Say, what are we doing? Here we see time and time again that Jesus came here for people who are sick, and not to convince someone who already thinks that they are righteous enough, but to walk with people and to be with people and to love people and to see people, to see disreputable sinners through his eyes. Is someone who is beautiful enough and worthy enough to give his life, to give them the opportunity that they can reconnect with their creator and to live out the life that God has envisioned. I think that as we go through this journey, that it's real important for us to understand that, you know what? Unfortunately, if we choose to be fully devoted followers of Christ, that means that we're probably going to be criticized by the very people who we feel that we should be allies with, and that's other people who are religious. Because if we are truly following Christ, why should we think that it's going to be any different for us than it was for him? And I think that when we look at this scripture Jesus isn't saying, look, go out and, you know, hand people tracks and, and, you know, and put bumper stickers on your car and, and do all this kind of stuff. You know what he's saying? He's saying, you know what the best way to, to 
to expose your, 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 your friends to me is by just doing life as an ambassador of me. To throw a party, just like you normally would. And you know what? Invite your, your followers of Christ friends. And also invite your disreputable sinner friends. And, you know, it's interesting that you look at this, and you know what's absent in this party? It says, look, at this party that, that basically they were just, they were hanging out, that they were having dinner. You know what Jesus didn't do? He didn't preach at this party. He preached in the appropriate times and the appropriate place, but in this party, it was a real party without any agenda except for his, his friends from his life to be able to meet his new friends and his, his friend of Jesus. And I think that so often that we try to segment our lives, you know, this is my work life and this is my church life and this is my, you know, sports life and all of these kind of things. And I think that what we need to take from this of being a follower of Christ is, you know what? Our worlds need to collide to bring these worlds together. And it's not our responsibility to preach a message, but it is our responsibility to live a life that is evident of our love for Jesus. Let's pray. Dear Lord, I, I look at these two accounts in your life and I just, I think that they're so important in our quest to answer the two questions, who you are and what does it mean to follow you? Here we see that you do say that you are the Son of God. That you can forgive sins, that you can forgive us. We see in the other one what it means to follow you is to maybe break out of our religion, a safe religion, and to actually live in a dangerous, the dangerous world of relationship. God, please. Just encourage us to have our worlds collide for you. Would you see? Yeah.